You're listening to the Community Pulse Podcast, a podcast on developer relations, community management, and everything in the tech community spectrum. Welcome your hosts, Mary Thengball, Jason Hand, and PJ Haggerty. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 37 of the Community Pulse. I am PJ Haggerty, at Asplenic on Twitter, and we're excited about uh, our episode today, which we're going to talk a little bit about titles and how they work in the DevRel world, or don't work for that matter. Um, but I'm, of course, joined by my colleagues. Uh, Jason, why don't you say hi? Hello, everybody. This is Jason Hands. Um, really excited about this episode. It's going to be fun. Uh, and uh, oh, but you, you can follow me on Twitter. I was almost... Forgot to say that, but um, at Jason Hand, and uh, yeah, I'll take it for, or uh, hand it over to Mary. Hey, everybody. Uh, I'm Mary Thingval. You can find me at Mary underscore Grace on Twitter. Glad to have you here. I'm stoked about the topic. Um, before we jump into that topic, uh, thanks again to IBM for sponsoring Community Pulse, and a little bit about what IBM Developer does. Are you building cloud applications with Java? AI, machine learning, serverless, and containers. IBM Developer provides a large number of code patterns, sample applications, articles, tutorials, and videos to help you build faster. All code is available on GitHub. You can incorporate any code into existing applications or use it to start a new application. Simply go to developer.ibm.com to access IBM Developer resources and start building. Find us on Twitter at IBM Developer or go to communitypulse.io slash IBM Developer for more information. Awesome. Uh, so I think we're all really excited about today's, uh, today's guests and, and our topics. So, uh, so that I don't screw anything up, which is common. Why don't I hand it over to bear and you can introduce yourself and then we'll hand it over to Jeremy and he can introduce himself. All right. Hi, my name is bear. I'm the director of developer relations over at Slack and you can find me on Twitter at bear Digzit, which is a hilarious archeology span pun from when I was an archeology span student about 15 years ago. Great. And I'm Jeremy Meese over, uh, I'm the director of community over at Solace and you can find me on the Twitters at, at I am Okay. So we established that. So Bear, you're the director of DevRel mm -hmm. and Jeremy, you are the director of community. Uh, my title at devrelate.io is uh, chief community officer, which I 100% made up myself. Uh, you're a developer advocate, Jason, is that correct? Cloud advocate. Cloud advocate. But you and used to be a... Used to be a developer advocate. Developer evangelist, right? DevOps, DevOps evangelist. DevOps evangelist. Yeah. yeah, I've got a whole thing prepared over here to talk about the, the distinctions I feel like between those. But yeah, right. currently oh, yeah. cloud advocate. Yes. And so, then I spent years as community manager. Community manager among other things. So it's interesting because I feel like a lot of, like all five of us pretty much do a lot of the same stuff, but we all just established that we have different, five different titles for five different people doing a lot of the same stuff. So let's talk about that for a minute. Like what are your thoughts on the whole, what do we call this thing that we do? Um, I, I made a joke about this actually recently because my wife and I are rewatching re The Sopranos and whenever they never say the mafia, they always say this thing that we do. And I was like, oddly, that's kind of like what DevRel is. It's like, it's like you know, this thing that we do, this talking and blogging and, and thing that we do. We are a mafia. I we mean, are? Okay. Yeah. I mean. I mean, we're a family. That's how, so. that's how it was explained. La cosa nostra. Yes, that's right. <laughs> well, I'll, I mean, I'll start. Um, I think, so community, so it, it, it's solace. Um, 
Well, and I'll even preface it by saying I, the typical answer, I think, for everything when it comes to DevRel is it depends on the company and what the company's doing. Uh, for us, uh, you know, I came on as a director of community um, because there was there was kind of this trying to figure out what's DevRel, what's not, not really an understanding of what DevRel is, thinking community is this whole kind of encompassing thing, um, and then now starting to kind of branch in and bring in some of the other activities that are happening into one a larger thing about developer communities. So that's, I mean, that's kind of how it exists for us um, in terms of what the, the role means. So. That, that makes sense. Bear thoughts? Yeah. Um, having done this at a few different companies, I, I would say that for the most part, we do a lot of similar things, but some people, some companies prefer to really lean into the differences that uh, makes it not just about arguing semantics if you have a different title. So for example, being a community engineer could mean any number of things, right? But if it's designed to make it clear that you are working on open source code as part of uh, developer tools offerings, that is kind of a meaningful distinction from if your role is to be writing a sample code that is part of a tutorial that is meant to be developer education focused. So it's not always bike shedding or, or splitting hairs. Sometimes we, we really do, especially at the, the larger company size, start to specialize in ways where these title changes are meaningful. Um, the thing that makes me a little less sure about them is that when you're trying to recruit, creating these, these weird titles like, uh, you know, developer relations, uh, advocate evangelist like however many adjectives you want to you want to stick on there it doesn't actually make it more compelling necessarily or even clearer what you do so trying to aim for some balance of specificity and also clarity about what it is that you do every day is what i at least try for yeah, yeah. And I, like for us like we started out with this like we were at an appliance company for many many years um because that's just what you know what we did uh, building out appliances for for you know messaging, and then about three, four, five years ago, started a downloadable product, and that's when this whole idea of meeting developers came in. And so it was, you know, there it's it's a relatively new concept within our company too. I think also to sort of add on top of what um, Bear, I think you were uh, first of all, I, I agree with everything both of you said, but um, Bear, what you were talking about, how especially in a larger organization, like kind of have split duties. Like I, I'm at Microsoft and I can tell you the things I do are quite different from almost every single other person on our hundred plus, you know, dev advocate team. So I think, um, but I don't think w when it comes to like the recruiting part, it is a little bit difficult because what I think what happens is like, there's a role that we're trying to fill, whether that's the business is trying to fill it or, or maybe someone like us is trying to find a new role. Um, but what, what I've experienced is once you get in there, you really start to just sort of rely on your strengths. So if you are good at writing docs, you end up being sort of the doc writer. And if you're good at traveling and presenting, you end up being the presenter. And so like the job seems to kind of morph depending on the person that ends up filling those shoes, um, which I think is something I've just recently come to this realization, especially once you start trying to compare yourself and measure yourself as a team across what everybody's doing. Not everybody does the exact same thing or even has the same opportunities to do the same thing. So it becomes very difficult to measure. And then I think that, you know, gets tied into all kinds of other conversations. I'm also okay. curious, it becomes difficult to measure, but it also becomes difficult for people who aren't in developer relations to understand 
that we're all doing similar things and have similar goals and all of that, right? And I think I've seen a lot of people lately who are sitting there going, well, but that person says they're a developer advocate, but they do this. And that person says they're a developer advocate, but they do this. And that person says they're an engineer, but they work on the developer relations team. So what does that mean? And it just, it almost seems like when we try and specialize in our, and I'm not saying we shouldn't do this, but it almost seems like when we specialize in our talents or try and find a, a job title that fits exactly what we're doing, it's almost causing more confusion for the people that we're trying to enable, for the technical audiences that we're working with. Thoughts on that or how we mitigate that or whether we should worry about mitigating that? I don't know how often people who interact with me and my team online know our titles, to be honest. Like, I, I'm actually, the reason that I'm speaking slowly is that I'm, I'm reflecting on that and thinking, all right, if somebody, if somebody opens an issue on GitHub and somebody on my team replies, they know their GitHub handle, but do they ever dig deeper and find out that this person is a developer relations engineer? And I'm not sure that the answer is yes. So I think if we, you can sort of just elide any details about your internal company org structure and just be a person's point of contact, it, it might obviate the need to even even go down this path, but, but I'm, I'm genuinely not sure. Yeah, I think you almost have to, I, I think Barry, what you say there is a, pretty valuable because we get so caught up in the titles um, and, and for, you know, like I think someone meant for good reason at times um, because it does kind of embody kind of who we are within this big organization. If it's a smaller company, it's not as big of a deal because everybody's the janitor. But when, you know, you're a large company, it, it kind of identifies who you are and it's, it's you know, what you do and and I think it's important to, if somebody's outside your general sphere of contact, to really communicate, hey, I'm just there for you. You know, it doesn't matter if I'm a if I'm a developer advocate or if I'm a community manager or I'm a, you know, you know, whatever term you want to give. It, it's ultimately, you know, our roles always come down to we're there to listen, we're there to heat, we're there to help, and if we have to not call ourselves something just to get that message across. I think that's important. Well, I think it's interesting too, because it, in some ways it's kind of like, how do we, the, the title seems much more important internally when you're working at a company. Cause people are like, Oh, like that person's a developer advocate. I totally know that they're going to go to this conference and maybe I can give them some tips or maybe I know someone I can introduce them or maybe I can find out if that's a place I should go to learn things. Like internally, it totally makes more sense. Externally, I kind of agree like with what bears it. Like do people on the outside even know if we don't tell them? I mean, Grant, I tell people my title all the time. My title is PJ. Um, but like if we don't say anything, do they care or do they just assume, oh, they work as an engineer or support person or so, DevOps, whatever. Some, they just work somewhere within those organization. And I don't care. They got the t-shirt. They're clearly legit. Like, fuck it. Who cares? Yeah, um, and I'm, I'm trying to think where I've seen those, those conversations happening. And I think most of them are on Twitter. Um, and I, <laughs> I will fully admit I have a very unique view of a lot of things because every single really? tweet that comes through, hang on. <laughs> I see every single tweet that comes through that's hashtag DevRel that says the phrase developer relations that says the phrase developer advocate. Like I see every single one of those 
every single week because of the links that I think sift through for the newsletter. So take so, note, listeners, if you want Mary to see your tweets, hashtag DevRel. It's notes, true. <laughs> notes, I'm going to send a few tweets today. Yes, yes. Um, but it's true. Like I, so I see all of the like, what the hell is developer advocate? What is developer relations? Like, I don't actually understand what this means. And I see easily six to eight of those a week. And granted, that's I feel not. Like that's a that's a blog post in the in the like. I think you're going to end up writing about this because there's got to be some sort of correlation. I mean, and this this to me is the, the interesting thing is like this job's not new. Yeah. Like we're still in the early stages, but this job's not new. People should right. know right. if you've worked at a, an organization of any particular size, there's a dev advocate in some form or title there, whether but you see, know who that is or not. But that's the thing in some form or title. Yeah, I guess that's the so, point. That's right? the whole point of this. We should have a podcast about it. Imagine that. <laughs> All right, these tweets that you're seeing, have you gone so far as to try to see if you can make any kind of um, uh, assumptions on the, how technical these people are who, who don't seem to quite have a grasp? Because we, one of the questions we wanted to ask is like, how do you explain to your parents or to other non-technical mm -hmm. people what you do? Yeah. And I wonder, you know, it seems like, Anytime you get a bunch of us in a room together, like we all have this like common, like, you know, just like the head nod of, yeah, I get what it yeah. is. Get it, what mm -hmm. you're Secret handshake. I don't care what the label is. Um, but I wonder if it's the people that are outside of that, that are maybe more even outside of, of, of more technical roles that just don't quite get it. Um, so anyway, I'm just curious if, if some of these tweets you're seeing, if you can actually parse that out, what their technical background might be. It depends on what they say in their Twitter profile. Um, and ironically, if they mention what their title is in their Twitter profile or not. Um, but I mean, some of them are engineers. Some of them are, are technical folks. Some of them are, you know, deeply technical folks. And they're people who I would wager based on the few that I've actually clicked in through and, and dug around on that like, they're not working in Silicon Valley. They're not working in New York City. They're not working in Seattle or Boston or places that have a bigger or at least thriving, growing base they're not, of technical they're not, companies. Yeah, or they're not building like a customer facing service that right. you know, they're building something for the accounting team internally. And it's, right. it's, not, yeah. it's, it's a different, different like subset of development. Right. right. Or they might be building a customer facing interface, but it's not, their customer base isn't developers, right? Yeah. So I mean, well, it definitely definitely depends on the audience. Um, yeah, but I'll, I'll say I'll say this: when it came to uh, not my grandmother, she never understood. When it came to my mother, explaining to my mother what it is that I that I do, I go I go I talk about computers because why do you travel so much? Like, what does this have to do with computer program? I go and I talk about computers, and occasionally something learned someone learns something from what I have to say. She's like, oh, okay, I get that. Um, and there's the other conversation, like when I'm coming across the border, like I was last night, what do you do? Why do you travel for work? I'm a computer programmer. That's all you need to know. You're not going to get anything beyond that. Um, oh, you're, so you program computers and you talk conferences. Yes. Okay, great. Have a great day. That's it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it, like, it depends on the situation, but like with family, it's just a, cause, because we all know the immediate follow-up. Yes, I talk about computers. Oh, can you fix my iCloud? Yeah. Yes, I lost get rid a, of it. I lost a picture of my cat. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's part of the big reason. Like I, my response when people ask me what I do is I say I'm the liaison between our customers and the, the company. Like I'm the person that, that gives the feedback. I'm the person that helps explain what's going on both ways, right? 
because I'm not a programmer. I'm not a developer. I'm not, I, I have technical abilities, but that is not my job. And so, so distinguishing that is important to me. So, so just a, a thought. Uh, jokes aside, where, yeah, I don't like trying to fix my parents' printers and, and <laughs> network routers. But why do we why do we take the, like, shortcut when we ex try to explain what we do? Because I do the exact same thing. People ask me what I do. I, first of all, I don't even tell them where I work because that brings up a whole other, you it's know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, let me, let me ask you, have you, have you ever... Have, have you ever fully tried to explain your job to someone who is not in tech? Yes. No. Well, not if I, I'm sure I have occasionally, maybe after a few beers and I feel like they're really, they really care to know. And I want to take, okay, how long does it, how long does it take? How, yeah, long how much it? time do you have? So, but, okay. But, but hang on. Cause I, I'm curious. Cause Bear said yes. Yeah. It, no it, hesitation whatsoever. It, it actually wasn't that hard, particularly when I was at Facebook because there was a consumer uh, platform that people were relatively familiar with. So I'd say, hey, have you ever used that login with Facebook button to another app that wasn't Facebook? And people think about it and they say, either say yes or no. And I say, okay, well, uh, it's engineers at that other company that are writing that connection between Facebook and their service. And so my job is to make the educational materials and the tools that they need to write that integration. Yeah. Under 30 seconds, people are like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, okay, so that was clear and concise, bare wins. <laughs> Congratulations, you've won the community. Well, it's a little harder when you're not working with something quite as ubiquitous or when then you're working on something yeah. that doesn't have a, uh, a very consumer-facing thing. So uh, if for, for people now who haven't used Slack or haven't heard of Slack because their, their company hasn't made any sort of technological transition or they can't use it or whatever, um, I, I tend to still use that analogy because that helps people who don't know what an API is, still get a grasp of what the, the interchange of information has to be as, as part of being a platform. Like you could go into arbitrary depth about trying to talk about what a platform is and what an API is and why they matter and why software is becoming more connected. And so now we're seeing this market and this particular job of connecting software more tightly. But you, you don't necessarily have to go into that to get that, that moment of people getting it, what you do. Yeah, and I've, I've been for years, like almost 30 years trying to explain to my family what I do and about technology and all of that, dating back to when I was in my teens of trying to just help people do shit and, for lack of a better term, um, okay. and uh, Mary made me do it. And I eventually, like, I eventually got to where I just paid attention to what their, like their eyes, if they glaze over. I go, okay, I'm going to simplify this real quick. Um, and, you know, would go the route, like, I love that 30-second, very concise thing. And it's it very much mine is, is like the, you know, I help our company, uh, the developers that want to use our product, help them use it in their companies. Like, it's in, and then if they go, oh, and you see a light dawn, I go, oh, and then I continue a conversation. If not, and they do, the, oh, cool, and they take another drink of their, you know, beer or orange juice, it's like, all right, cool. But I, I you kind of, after, after 15 times of trying to explain it, like, you know, Jason mentioned, I think yeah. eventually I just go, okay, I'm, I'm done trying and I'll just, you know, I'll wait to see if you're, if, if you're willing to go even further, because I would love to talk about it. Well, and this, this leads me to an interesting place, because I wonder if part of the problem, part of the confusion that we run into when people don't understand our jobs and don't understand our value and don't understand why we're doing what we're doing 
is because we aren't able to succinctly say, here's what I do. Here's my elevator pitch. Right. And I mean, between the five of us, we've got what, 70 years of experience in the industry, probably. Whoa. Easy. At least (laughs) like, but in, in community building alone, right? Yeah. Like, We've got a lot of experience between the five of us. And if the five of us can't come, with the exception of Bear, can't come up (laughs) with a very clear, concise way to say, here's what I do, that's a huge problem. And I'm viewing that as a huge problem with like day one that someone joins a company or day one that someone joins at least a community team, like they need to know the elevator pitch for the product, right? Like that's core fundamental of when you're talking about the company, here's the elevator pitch. And I don't think we have that elevator pitch for developer relations. I, I, I agree with that statement. And the, I mean, the other thing too is I've, I've been at companies where people say, oh, so, so what do you do? It's like, oh, I, I'm, I'm, Dev, I'm the developer advocate. I'm the community engineer, whatever. Like, oh, cool. You're a shill. And it's like immediately <laughs> I know that no matter what I say after that, yeah. they already have the impression that I am some sort of pre-sales engineer or my job is to like go out and be like, blah, 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 blah. Company X is so great. Let's talk about how great we are. Um, and like, yeah, that's not what I do. Like I wear a t-shirt, occasionally a hat, some socks, depends on the company. I like the um, idea of just putting that on your business cards. Professional shill. Professional yeah. shill. <laughs> it's like, yeah, let me tell you. And like, like I feel like that, that, that shitty radio voice that I just did is exactly what um, people will hear out of your mouth. Yeah. If they believe you're a shill. You know, because I mean, Barry, you're like, you know, oh, well, we're explaining the authentication method of Facebook. You're like, Facebook's so great. Everybody should be using Facebook. Facebook.com. Um, yeah. like, that's not what, it's not really what we do. Do you think that's because there's a confusion? You know, if you go out to any major conference and step out in the expo area, there are people with the headset microphones with a mini crowd around them giving mm-hmm. product demonstrations. Mm-hmm. Yes. Are there, there are AirPods some, of those folks, sales some of those folks sharing the same title as us? I mean, where is this like confusion or this? Well, I noticed there's been a big recent change into the idea that instead of saying salespeople, because that turns people off, mm-hmm. having sales engineers and sales advocates. Ooh, and I've I think heard this sales is, advocate. Yeah, this is this right. is a very recent like in the past two months I've heard this term used. And this I think is where our part of the industry is getting muddied. I'll say muddied. I don't want to say dirty. It is dirty though. Fuck it. It's dirty. Like because if you start in the same way that we talked about this a million times on the podcast, as you start lumping us in with marketing, we become marketing. If you start lumping us in with sales, guess what? Yeah. So we're part of sales. And that to me is a hugely negative connotation, like a huge dark mark. Sorry, I've been playing Wizards Unite. A huge dark mark on the things that we do because we are trying to advocate for technology. We're trying to advocate, yes, for the company we work for, but more what they're doing, not what, not who they are. Um, we're trying to advocate for the community itself. My job is as far from sales as anyone who is in the engineering department as far as yeah. I'm concerned. Yeah. Well, and and maybe it goes back to, I mean, maybe it doesn't go back. What peaks my mind is that like this, when you think about the, the beginnings of what a community manager was, was back in the nineties with bulletin boards and and all of that. And then it became gaming communities and, you know, you had CompuServe and you had AOL and you had all these kind of communities start to grab and, and online and then these terms and, 
you know, everybody becomes a community manager. And then all of a sudden, like when you say community manager, you start getting people say, Oh, you work with social media. Like it, there's, there's this on like on ramp that thinks, Oh, now like they've co-opted the term. Uh, and then you have a number of times in my career of over 10 years as a community manager with that as my title, that someone walked up to the booth said, looked at my tag at my at my conference tag and said oh you're the community manager can i talk to someone who knows what they're talking about yeah like that's it's a thing it's yeah. a real thing and it sucks and i used to i for a long time just didn't put my t- my job title in my conference registration because i didn't want to deal with that well and then you get the people that um you know work at a apartment complex and call themselves a community manager oh yes or their WeWork, and WeWork has all of their people are called community managers. And then when you're trying to hire, it like goes back to that conversation. When I was at Auth0 and we were trying to hire community managers, um, we had people that were from WeWork or people, and not that they, you know, if they were technical enough, that would have been great, but that also we had an apartment complex, you know, that, that managed an apartment complex. And it's like, oh yeah, I manage communities. And it's like, there's a, Listen. that's when you realize, okay, then we have to become we started using technical community manager because right. at least it's something that gives a little bit more view to what it, what the, the stuff was. And I, I want to make an important point here. People who manage apartment complexes and genuinely build communities of people who live at those apartment complexes are 100% community managers. Yes. It's not that they have the wrong title. Agreed. It's that there are many different industries who have community managers. This, this goes back to something I've been saying for the last, probably a year yeah. is like community manager is not a new title. Building right. communities is not a new title. Creating communities has been around for hundreds of years, right? Like thousands of years. It's, it's not a new thing. It's just, it's a, this is a specific title for a technical audience, right? Yeah. Well, I think, I think it's interesting because it kind of goes back to the whole conversation between that we had a few episodes ago when we we're talking about technical versus non-technical, uh, the kind of, uh, embarrassing or or for lack of a better time bullshitty way tech is co-opted titles like software architect mm-hmm. you, ain't, you ain't architect and shit son yeah. <laughs> engineer we don't do we really engineer anything no we do not we do not physically pick up a wrench and engineer a damn thing um we just borrowed these titles and i think community manager kind of falls into that realm it's like we just needed it we needed a title to explain what was going on it seemed to make sense we went with it then out of that grew the, the, the words developer evangelist, which came with, with its own horrible connotations and also problematic when you job search for dev evangelist. Um, I'm, I'm not going to get lots of funny stories on that. Anyway, um, but like with the advent of those titles, like what were the positive and negatives that you saw other than just the title with putting a proper title on the thing? Like, you know, suddenly before that time, it was CEOs and C-level folks who'd be like, "I'm hi, I'm Johnny Ive, and I'm going to go out and talk about the importance of Apple design at certain events. And like that's kind of what happened. It wasn't someone who was at a lower level in the hierarchy, I'll say. I'll say that way. Um, it was, you know, the C-level people. And then it was like, oh, we can have some engineers go and do it, or we can have some developers go and do it, whatever. Um, then it was like, no, wait, we have like, this is like a thing. This is like a job that is a real thing. What are some of the positive and neg- negatives of real-world community managers, developer evangelists, advocates, what have you? Hmm. 
Bear hasn't spoken in like 10 minutes. See? To- <laughs> concise. She's concise. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think of what to jump in here, but I... Yeah, I, I guess I have less perspective on the uh, the change in titles and how people have reacted over time. Um, mostly because the more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm like, how often have I actually talked about this externally? Um, the thing, Mary, you were saying about at conferences, getting people coming up and talking to you and saying, um, can I please talk to somebody who knows what they're talking about because you, you dropped that title? I've had kind of the opposite experience where, and this is definitely a gendered thing, people will see me do a demo, see me do a demo, and then say, oh, but uh, I want to talk to somebody technical. I'm like, yeah, cool, great, thanks. Yeah. Um, and having, having a title that does not say community manager or uh, evangelist, something that communicates uh, engineer or, or technical knowledge is helpful. Yeah, I mean, I mean this, this was this is a big reason why we uh, at Engineered we created the term community engineer, um, partially because of what you were saying earlier, Bear, about yes, we were contributing to open source software, so we're but we were also out there in the community and we knew the product and we were extremely technical. Like it seemed the term that fell most into it. And were you uh, using wrenches, I'm sorry. You using wrenches? Didn't you just say that you couldn't be an engineer? Well, see, no. So here's the thing: is we were working for a company called Engineard. Everyone had the title engineer, because yeah. you know the whole train thing. We talked about this, Jason. Yes, we did. And like, well, hey, some, you know, something else too. I mean, there's all kinds of other words that we could be using in our titles. That, like, I mean, like you said, we just sort of started with something years ago, and it's evolved into this family tree. Yeah. We all have the same title. Uh, and it's confusing as the like the world becomes more digitally con- connected and there's companies like Facebook that are trying to get other digital companies to work with them. And then there's companies like uh, VictorOps, where I was at for a long time, where I'm just out there trying to tell people about DevOps in hopes that that sort of, you know, after a num- couple of like hops might lead them back to instant management, which then leads to, the, to VictorOps. So I had like a different agenda. But at, at the sort of end of the day, what I ultimately was is a feedback loop. I would push stuff out and take stuff in. And I worked, you know, to just kind of constantly keep that machine going. But that also could be a support role. I mean, there's all kinds of words we could have used or still could use for a lot of these roles. And one of the things I know we wanted to talk about is when it comes to titles and sort of like moving through your career, like where are we at? Like does, you know, is is a tech evangelist, is a dev evangelist, is a community manager, are they in a better position to have you know, kind of up and to the right in terms of their salary and satisfaction? You know, I had a conversation with um, some younger folks in DevRel about this last night. There was a Dev Advocates meetup in San Francisco where the talk was uh, internships in developer relations and people who've been doing developer relations for their whole career. And one of the questions that I asked them was, and this is, this is kind of a, a nested in a bunch of context question, was in the past when I have hired developer relations interns, I felt morally obligated to talk to them about why they want to do DevRel as an internship, whether they want a more traditional software engineering internship, and how they're thinking about their overall career trajectory. Because I think it's a very different thing to be mid-career and take a, a title like community engineer than maybe ambiguously meaningful, but you have you have a CV that shows some sort of history versus coming straight out of college and becoming a developer advocate and then trying to bring yourself into the job market after graduation and people wondering, what on earth was this internship that you just did? Yeah. And it was 
interesting hearing their response because none of the younger people were worried about it at all. And I was like, wow, I'm bringing my baggage of like coming out of college <laughs> in, in the economic downturn and being like, I will never have a job and to, to bear on their experiences where they didn't seem too worried about it. They were like, no, developer relations is booming. There are lots of jobs here. It's a well-known uh, title and that employers find it recognizable. And it, it gives me the, the scope of things to do that I want to do. So I'm not worried about this. And mm. I thought that that was pretty interesting because it means that we've made progress both on the number of jobs available, but also in socializing some of these titles such that at least the the yoga generation, because <laughs> I, I guess they are by now, um, don't feel like it's a disadvantage. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting though, because I, I, I feel like that might be a very regionalized San Francisco, Silicon Valley situation. Very true. Because yeah, I, sure. I, I know in, so I live in New York, not New York city, the other New York, which is Buffalo. Um, and first of all, like I, I am one of maybe two or three dev advocates that live here and we, we all work remotely. Um, secondly, it's not considered a job that you can do without five to 10 years experience somewhere else in the organization. Like you, and, and it could just be like the whole Rust Belt working class idea. You have to build yourself up first, um, concept that's regionally like localized here, but like even, even here, like. I don't care if you come out with a doctorate in computer science, guess what? You're a junior and you're a junior programmer. You know, we don't care what internship you did. You're a junior programmer because you have no real world experience. Um, and that's kind of, I think that's a very East coast attitude. So I know there's no, well, no way at this point so people graduate and be like, I'm in DevRel. I'll be like, no, you're not. You know, nothing Psh, later kid. Um, I think this kind of goes back to like there's so many different roles within DevRel. Like if oh, 100%. coming right out of college, they can certainly be very, very helpful with creating demos and doing documentation. Yeah. Um, but then there's the other side where like, you know, a lot of the things that I do is simply because of my expertise. It's because of the number of gray hairs on my face and on top of my head. It's because of like the shit I've been through. I can be that coach and mentor and like tell you all the pitfalls to avoid and yeah. that's what they want from me. That's my role as a developer relations. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. Well, and, and that's and that's a. There is this thing like with interns is like by default they have there's a within a company and generally and it's a general statement, but a lot of times within companies you you tend to view the intern as some people view them as as that that person that comes in and is going to be used for as little as amount of money as possible to do all the, the crap work that nobody else wants to do. That's it. But it's valuable when you can find that one person that takes it like Barry, you mentioned like that obligation to help them to, to pour into them. And I think, you know, Jason, there is value in that piece of saying, Hey, come in and help us with documentation, help us with, these things because you can learn the product really quickly that way you can also you know begin to uh, gain some valuable uh, skills that can help you out after this internship and it gives us an idea of seeing are you able to do some of these things that can help translate you maybe into a more permanent position where you now start getting more and more opportunities like if we if we could view it that way I think it, it would be a lot more valuable to to the industry, but it's it's very difficult, I think, with some companies that just view an intern or a student as free labor. 
Well, I don't want to insinuate either that that only you know the elderly or the people you know who have been through <laughs> stuff Ouch. can actually can actually you know play that expertise. That cuts role. deep, by the way. Yeah, yeah. As, so, as but, probably the oldest person on this call, Jay. Come on. Well, so my point is, is like it doesn't matter. Like the age isn't really the thing. Yeah. It's about the expertise. And I mean, I, there's people on my team. Our I think our age spectrum is everywhere is like something between 21 and you know like mid high 50s, um, and we all have different expertise and different experience. And so I don't, I don't mean to like make this like an age thing, but for those that are coming out of college who really haven't built up that expertise, but do want to want to start on a path. I think that there is a path for them. We just have to, it's more, it's more of like, what does the business, I guess, need from their dev dev advocacy team yeah. and those different roles, there could be possibly different, different roles that they fulfill. And so when we just say developer relations, it's just such a broad topic that it's not always fair. Um, yeah. because, and then also the business's needs change, especially at a, in a small startup. I mean, no, you know, I remember almost every year I had a different, I, I like felt like I pivoted every freaking quarter at Victor Ops on what should I do to really help the business. And sometimes it was more writing and sometimes it was more traveling and speaking. So, it, it, you know, yeah. so we're starting to run low on time here. Um, and we've kind of brought up a couple of little things of like, well, you know, we've started to do this and that's helped a little bit. We've started to do these things and that's helped a little bit. Um, I know for me, I put out a blog post a couple weeks ago that was like, okay, you know, tell me, tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me what needs to be different. But like, here are my definitions for developer relations, developer advocate, developer evangelist, all of these different titles. Here's what I'm running with. Let's try and standardize some of this. But I'm curious to hear from all of you, like, how do we, how do we move forward? How do we help people under better understand what we're doing? How do we help people better understand the value that we bring and to not be as confused about this, like, well, I don't really know what you do, so I'm just going to kind of put you over here in a corner. As a side note, I think it's funny that you said, how do we move forward? And I just like immediately had like a Bernie Sanders style debate answer. I'm like, first, we get universal health care for everybody. And then everything else becomes better. <laughs> so I don't I know. There's just such a like. Fox News slash MSNBC debate question. How do we move forward? It is debate season. <laughs> I thought that's what this was going to be. So. <laughs> well, well you're wrong. Well, here you go. Here's your closing <laughs> statement. Here's your opportunity. Hardball with Mary Thangval. Yes. Jeremy, you're up first. Uh, I think, so I'll, I'll take that. Um, helping people understand what we do. Is that the question, essentially? Yeah, how do, we, how do we make this easier for other people to understand and, and by doing so make it easier on ourselves? I, I think some of it is maybe understanding where they're coming from. And I know that, that sounds like a really duh thing, but I think mm -hmm. understanding you know, the person that's asking the question um, and being able to, and this comes with practice, but being able to kind of tailor your 30-second thing into like, like Bear's great you know, overview tailor that to the audience. I mean, we, we all speak, we all go to conferences, we all know this, like know your audience. I think that's, that's definitely a piece of it. And so understanding, you know, if they are more technical and you know that they come from a company that has people like what you do, then you can speak to that a little bit more. Um, if it's your, you know, 90 year old grandma, you might just say, hey, I go to conferences and shake hands and, you know, I shake the babies and kiss the hands. <laughs> you know, I, like, 
And or, if you're very unlucky, your grandmother's yeah. like mine, and she's like, well, why don't you wear suits? Right, right. Oh, I've gotten that. But yeah. it, so I, I think knowing the audience is important, but I think building that core 30-second pitch does make sense. I think it really plays into it and maybe have a couple variations in your head of just, you know, something that's really basic and then something that delves into deeper if you have, if that person happens to, Ooh, I understand. And Hey, embark on the conversation. And luckily now everyone listening has bears quick 30 seconds. <laughs> 30 seconds. That's right. But just adapt right. that to what it is that you do. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember where I, where I saw it or read it or, or whatever, but I, there was someone who once said that, they pointed out whenever someone asks you, you know, what do you do? Our immediate like thought process is about what is our work? What, what, what is our career? What is our job title actually is what most people want to come back with. I'm an accountant. I'm a software developer. I'm a whatever. But I feel like more and more, and I don't know if this was definitely not intentional. I don't think when people ask me what I do, I really just tell them like, like what I love, like about what I'm doing. And I just tell them I, I get to Good. travel around the world and, and work with developers and give talks. Uh, and occasionally do some writing. And I, that, I just kind of leave it at that. And because that helps with the technical people and also helps with the non-technical people. And then I don't get this like whole rigmarole about, well, what is a de developer advocate? What, what's this with the evangelist term? And um, I, So for me, like that's kind of where I've started to take those conversations. And then I can have like a, then I can have like a conversation that I actually enjoy talking about. Because people <laughs> might be like, hey, you know, tell me more about this public speaking. How do you do that? Because that's something I've always, you know, <laughs> and, and I'll gladly talk about that more than, you know, some of the other more technical aspects. I actually, I actually have a good answer. How do you do public speaking? You take the fear you have of public speaking and you turn it into slides. <laughs> <laughs> and then you just go and talk about those slides. That's good. Right. Yeah. Alcohol help, helps too. Yeah. Uh, okay. So there's, there's a limit, but we could talk about that in a different episode. Yes. I'm in for that one. About, about my experiences with doing a keynote. But you know, that, that's the problem is like, drinks. That, those are just, those are the conversations for the people who aren't my manager. You know? And then, then you have to, <laughs> what, is, what have you been doing? How do we discuss? <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other podcast episode or five. So, mm -hmm. yeah. But actually I think that that brings us to checkouts. I can tell Bear is moving into a kitchen. The be the banana bread's coming out. The banana bread's coming out. Shit oh. just got real. Get ready y'all. <laughs> But, uh, but before we go, we sign out, um, we need to do our checkouts, which is, of course, the part of the show where we talk about some things we've been interested in or some things that have, uh, have to do with uh, what we were talking about or, or don't or whatever. Um, and I can start. So we give Jeremy is just going to continue to extend his list of checkouts. Um, but I, I'll start because actually one of the things that I wanted to mention kind of came up when Jason was talking earlier about what we do and relating it to kind of metrics and the things that we do. I just read a book by uh, Jerry, Jerry Z. Muller, um, who is an author. He wrote a book called The Tyranny of Metrics. Mm -hmm. And it's about um, how we have basically like metrics fixation. Um, and it's very important. Like he doesn't talk about developer relations specifically, but he does talk about how there's been an overuse of metrics to try to fix things. And a lot of times when you apply metrics to a system that involves humans, they just don't work. Um, they work with inanimate objects, not so much with people, but, uh, I was telling Mary about the book earlier this week, some great examples he uses. He talks about the police, uh, medicine, pharmaceuticals, schools, colleges, like pretty much everything in the spectrum, businesses, government, military, whatever. 
he kind of gives each example and why metrics don't work in those situations. And the best part for me, what got me was the, the very, the introduction starts off with talking about the wire. And if you've seen the, the HBO series, the wire, you see that it's very, there's a lot of things about metrics in there as far as crime and, and how people uh, do a, a technique called creaming, which is make things look better than they really are and how common that is. But it's a great book, The Tyranny of Metrics by Jerry Z. Muller. Uh, Jerry Z. Muller for our Canadian friends. Hmm. Um, the other thing I had to mention, which um, Jason and Mary might have noticed because they see this room that I'm in often and we record these on Zoom video. Uh, and there's been some changes to my office because there's maps and weird pictures of people all over the place. So my wife and I got into this thing called Hunt a Killer, which is a game. It's kind of like Loot Crate where they send you a box once a month with clues and pictures and stories and evidence from a murder that occurred. It's fictional. And you spend, you know, a certain amount of time, which for us has been increasing each month. It's so much fun. Um, trying to solve the murder and put pieces together. Um, the entire, like, one case takes about six months. Um, but yet you have a list of suspects. You have, you know, all of this Are information. Are trained by the FBI right now? Is this... <laughs> Cool. How much? How much is cool it? Question. How um, much is it? And is it good for kids? Like, um, like I think low yeah, teenagers. Low teenagers, teenagers. Yeah, definitely. Um, the expect it depends. On, it's like one of those. Like, if you buy six months at a time, it's cheaper. It's like twenty-two bucks per month. If you buy each month individually, it's like thirty-two bucks per month. And then, like, there's different packages. Okay. There's also single night packages if you want um, to do it as like a party game or something. Have a bunch of people get together and be like, all right. We're going to solve this whole crime all in one night. Nice. Um, so huntakiller.com. So much fun. Oddly, like my wife and I have cameras. Like I was traveling last week and I would like FaceTime her from Switzerland and just be like, yo, so here's why Antonio was a problem. <laughs> and she would completely know exactly what I was talking about, even though in real life we know no one named Antonio. That's <laughs> amazing. Um, but yeah, super good time. So those are my checkouts. Uh, so the tyranny of metrics, which – uh, such a swift read. It's about 183 pages of content, um, plus a lot of references. Um, and huntakiller.com. Check it out. Who wants to go next? I can. Um, one of my call-outs was uh, a book called No Hard Feelings, and it's by Molly Duffy and Liz Fossline, and it's about managing emotions at work. And given that a lot of what we do is talk to community where we get you know, a lot of sometimes anger we don't deserve and sometimes props we don't deserve because we didn't necessarily build the thing ourselves. Um, we feel a lot of emotions and then we have emotions. And um, this book is really well-written in an entertaining way that's chock-a-block with cartoons about um, thinking about how to feel things and then also productively incorporate those into how you behave at work. It's a, it's a really good book. I would recommend it. Awesome. And of course, Barry, you'll also be sharing your banana bread recipe. I will. I will. It does not feature lemons, uh, orange zest. Orange zest. Jeremy. Orange zest. Yeah. But Jeremy it does have orange. chocolate chips. So yes. I am all in for that. Yeah. It's good. It thing. also, uh, I think we have to give a warning. I don't know, by law, like it did nuts. This product contains nuts. Yes. Well, nuts. <laughs> Wait, are you um, talking about the podcast or about the, the bread? Ayo. Yes. Okay. Okay. Jeremy, this totally is so hard because usually I inter usually you and I interact via gifts of either Firefly or Buffy, so it's really hard to like actually physically mm -hmm. talk to you. Uh -huh. <laughs> I get that. I get that a lot, actually. <laughs> 
So on that note, I'll go next with checkouts. Uh, um, so I have, I have a couple things. I have two things that have kind of been keeping me uh, away from work, which is a good thing when I'm, I'm struggling to, to find downtime. Um, I've been, one of the things I've been struggling with lately and the Jason and PJ both know that I've been having a hard time coming up with checkouts these last few episodes, just because I feel like any of my downtime, I'm just like, put me in a room by myself with some music or something. And I just need actual downtime. Um, so I've been struggling to read a little bit and trying to figure out like lightweight books that are easy to get through, but are actually well-written, which has been a struggle to not slog through things, but also find stuff that's a good mix. And I found one last week called Love Minus 80. And it's this, um, it's like a science fiction uh, kind of love actually kind of story where you've got different characters that it's bouncing between and some of them are connected and some of them aren't. And it's just, it's very well written. It's really fun. Um, I'm getting through it really quickly, which has been, it's been cool to have a book that like, okay, I'm done with work. I'm going to go read. It's been a while. Um, the other thing has been, uh, my boyfriend, Jeremy and I have been playing through Zelda breath of the wild. Um, <laughs> And I know most of you, if you are video gamers, have probably already played it. But if you haven't, it's amazing. Um, I didn't grow up with video games. And this is, I think, the first, like, I've played a handful in the past. But I think this might be one of the first that, like, I'm actually fully engaged with. Um, PJ, you mentioned, you know, calling your wife and being like, I know where, you know, what Antonio did and that type yeah. of stuff. And whereas uh, Jeremy and I are walking around Golden Gate Park going, wait, there's mushrooms. We should pick them because they might be these ones that when we cook them, they do these things to our character. Like, okay, hang on. Maybe we're in a little too deep. Um, but it's just, it's been so much fun and the visuals are gorgeous and it's a, uh, heavy on exploration, which is something that I just love in video games. Yeah. Play, playing video games with your partner is probably something that should be incorporated into modern therapy. Yes. Um, I mean, my, my wife and I, part of the reason why, like I knew she was the one, uh, was we used to play Road Rash 2 on a Sega Genesis. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. into video games? And she's like, yeah, I am. I'm like, sweet. Awesome. <laughs> that was paraphrased. Nice, nice. Uh, and then the last thing that's that's actually relevant career-wise, um, there's another podcast that I've been listening to lately. It just started. Uh, I think they're on their third episode. Um, and I used to work with one of the hosts um, back at O'Reilly but it's called Relevant Experience Podcast. And it's just, it's a fantastic, like, um, we deal with, with hard things at work and here's some conversations about it. So from, you know, how to deal with your coworkers to how to have hard conversations with your boss to um, dealing with perfectionism and, and the difference between perfectionism and progress. And just, it's, it's really well done. It's great sound quality um, and just really good conversations that I think a lot of us can can really benefit from. Cool. I'll go next. Uh, so I've got a couple things that I've kind of paying attention to. I just actually found betterpractices.dev. It's a, it's a medium publication that Postman just kind of put out a couple months ago. Um, loving what they're doing and, and it's kind of a, um, a big amalgamation of like just different um, modern software practices and in different ways of doing things. And some people are posting things as they're learning and how to use Postman and how to do different things. And in it, that it's a, 
better, not best, I, I love. And so uh, just kind of starting to play through and, and read through some of those things. Um, and then on my desk, I have the Indispensable Community from Richard Millington, which I, I, I have, I browse through on occasion, just, you know, if I'm looking for one little anecdote or looking for one little thing that kind of piques my interest around some community building I'm doing. Um, and then uh, Radical Candor by Kim Scott is a really, really good book. Um, I've read it and it's on my tablet and I keep going back to it. Um, and it really kind of talking about how you can build uh, and, and be more comfortable with, with having candor with your, you know, people that are on your team and in, in your life and such, and, and uh, both giving it and receiving it. Like it, a lot of people I think can give it. The hardest thing is receiving it. And so I, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a good book. So those are the things that are piquing my interest at the moment. Someone on my team once incorrectly referred to that book as candid rancor. And I just think that's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> maybe that's what it is. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, does that leave me? That is you. Yes, please. Yeah. Um, man, so this was a hard one for me to come up with. I've been kind of on the road traveling for a month straight. And a, a big part of that was um, what I was calling the DevOps road trip. So um, I'm not sure when we'll get this episode out, but I'm hoping to get some some things and some thoughts and some different pictures and video of that whole experience um, posted up on DevOpsRoadTrip.com, uh, hopefully very soon. So I'd love to share what that whole thing was about with everybody. And then the other thing, sort of um, the end of this whole month-long travel um, ridiculousness is I ended up in, in um, New York for QCon on Wednesday and gave a talk on, uh, well, it's titled The Trouble with Learning in Complex Systems. And a lot of this, this stuff that sort of inspired me for that talk um, kind of came out of this book called Overcomplicated, which I actually read uh, a number of years ago and then kind of picked up again uh, on my road trip, actually. And um, anyway, I felt like the talk went really well. I got a lot of great feedback and, and, and like more kind of a different type of feedback than I've had in a lot of talks. I think I really rattled some cages and got people thinking in a new way, which is always like my, like my, my win. Um, so yeah, I really can't um, recommend that book enough. Uh, I think the author's name is Samuel Arbusman. I'm not sure if that's pronounced how he pronounces it, but anyway, it's a really great book. It really gets you thinking. Awesome. Well, um, before we sign out, I think we've given everybody enough stuff to read between now and the next episode. <laughs> um, I want to thank Jeremy and bear for, for joining us today. I think it's been awesome. Uh, this great talk about what it is and what we do. If you want to find out more, uh, check out communitypulse.io. We are on Twitter at community underscore pulse. Um, for, Jer for, for Jeremy and Bear and Jason and Mary, thank you very much for being here. I am PJ, and I will leave you with this final thought. Um, from the minds of the Wu-Tang Clan, the Jizza, even experts are stuck with more answers or more questions than answers. So think about that, and we will see you next time on the Community Pulse. This has been another episode of the Community Pulse podcast. Find us on Twitter at community underscore pulse, online at communitypulse.io, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We'll see you next time.